It's 1937. A cargo plane with a crew of 13 departs from San Diego, headed for Honolulu, Hawaii. Three hours into the routine flight, the crew sends out a distress call. But no more information is given before the air traffic control loses all radio contact with the flight. Hours later, the flight returns to its port of origin and makes an unannounced emergency landing. The ground crew rush the aircraft, and when they are finally able to make their way onto the plane, they are met with a horrific and puzzling scene. All crew members, except for one, are dead. Gaping wounds are present on each person on board, including the surviving co-pilot, who managed to stay alive just long enough to land the plane, only to die moments later. Upon further inspection, it is said that the pilot and co-pilot had discharged and emptied their standard-issue weapons. Multiple shell casings were found at their feet, though no one on board presented with gunshot wounds. What happened aboard this flight? Who or what were the pilots shooting at? It remains unsolved to this day and is only one of hundreds of aviation mysteries. In re-watching one of our favorite Christmas movies, I actually found out for the first time this iconic childhood film may be more than just a cautionary tale reminding us that pets are a commitment, not a Christmas present. The 1984 Steven Spielberg cult classic, Gremlins, is fine fiction holiday fun. But is there actually something to the story of these havoc-wreaking creatures? This is Fright Life, a paranormal podcast. On this episode, we will be discussing Gremlins. Welcome to Fright Life. We're your hosts, Joss and Monique. Hello. And on this episode, our sort of holiday edition, um, we're talking about gremlins. And not necessarily the cute, cuddly, gizmo-type gremlins from the movie. Who's literally, like, the best creature. Like, the original, like, Baby Yoda situation. Oh, for sure. But, yeah, we were showing Olivia this movie for the first time. And we were really excited about it. Um... And the gremlins, once they were, you know, fed after midnight and they turned into these beast creatures, the right. slimy, green, grody ones, um, not the fluffy cuteness, they were just getting into all this mischief. And I was sort of half watching and half working on some stuff. And I looked up and they were like pulling the phone line or cutting the phone line when mm-hmm. somebody was trying to make a 911 call. Right. And I was like, how would these creatures even be aware of this technology to know to cut the phone line? I had never thought about that before. Yeah. And Joss was like, well, you know, that's that's the thing about them. Yeah, it kind of sparked this, like, back-of-the-mind knowledge that I had. And I did a quick Google search, and I was like, oh, yeah. No, there's totally a bunch of lore about gremlins as sort of cryptid type creatures yeah but at first i was like what do you mean getting like cutting out technology is like the thing about them it's yeah. never explained in this there's no thing about them and he's like yeah no there is 
there's a history of these creatures. This is based on something that exists. And I just thought it was all made up for this movie, yeah. which I'm a little bit ashamed to admit <laughs> as a paranormal enthusiast and investigator that I had no idea these cryptids were actually on the cryptid list. Right. And so, yeah, we were like, you know what? Scrap everything else. We're doing a Gremlins episode. It's so perfect for the holidays because it's like one of the best Christmas movies out there. Yeah. So we looked into some of the history and we're also linking in some ideas of these aviation mysteries. Mm -hmm. Um, So Gremlins are actually tied into a lot of issues with aviation around especially World War II and prior to that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we will talk about that a little bit more. And some of these aviation mysteries don't have any mention of gremlins at all, but we thought it tied in pretty nicely. Yeah, I mean, um, just because it's not specifically mentioned doesn't necessarily mean that there was, wasn't was little green creatures afoot. Yeah. Uh, they just went unnoticed, maybe. So we started looking into it a little bit more, and so apparently gremlins kind of fall into the, like, fae family goblins, fairies, that sort of thing. Right. Um, And that's pretty consistent in keeping with their temperament of being mischievous. Yeah, they definitely have that kind of fairy goblin type vibe about them. Yeah, and the word itself is said to be derived from old English word grim, which means to vex or annoy. So Very, very suiting. Yeah, really fitting there. And although there are many different types reported, the creature descriptions are that mostly they are small, covered in fine, coarse hair. They have red eyes, horns, long, sharp claws, and sharp teeth. Um, And also the long, large ears. Mm -hmm. They're sticky-uppy. So it actually looks like there might be two major categories of gremlins. There's the... Ones that you just described that are smaller and covered in fine, coarse hair with the red eyes. Um, And there's another type that's also very small, but more humanoid, um, with grayish pale skin, very large mouths, and they have sort of a reptilian appearance to them. And even some of them are reported to have bat-like wings. There's a couple stories that I ran across of pilots seeing them like flying alongside the plane and stuff before they attach to the plane and, like, find their way inside. Weird. So creepy. I guess they'd have to get up there somehow. Yeah, and it's like either they stow away on the plane when it takes off, or they kind of show up mid-flight and start causing all kinds of trouble. Yeah, so that sort of leads to, like, what what they can do, right? Mm -hmm. What they're capable of. Yeah. Um, And that's their, like, affinity for electronics and mechanical equipment. Yeah, they seem to have this supernatural ability to find exactly what parts need to come off of an airplane to cause it to crash or what to disable to bring it down. That's crazy. But, like, why? Well, actually, there's a little bit of a origin story that I found um, in my research that suggested that they originally were the creatures that showed mankind how to build complex machinery. And, like, it was the real cause of mankind's jump to sort of relying on engines and automobiles and airplanes and stuff like that. 
But since mankind did not acknowledge or celebrate this precious gift of knowledge from the gremlins, they were like upset about it. They're a little raw about it. So they hmm. take it upon themselves to dismantle or disrupt this machinery at any chance that they get. Interesting. Okay. So they're just cranky that they didn't get their props. Yeah, didn't for get that. their props, man. Okay. So this gremlin lore started to rise to a more mainstream or like more talked about thing amongst pilots um, when reports from the British Royal Air Force uh, they were stationed in the Middle East uh, and India and this is where they the first recorded reports of gremlins causing weird disruptions in their uh, electrical systems started to filter in uh, there's an author Pauline Gower who in 1938 wrote about gremlins in her novel The ATA Women with Wings um, and she actually describes Scotland as gremlin country hmm. um, and sh she has an interesting take where she describes the gremlins as being small scissor wielding creatures that would cut the lines of biplanes have you ever seen a biplane those have like their wings are sort of bound together by mm -hmm. cable ties and so Apparently, they would inexplicably just come apart, and those planes would be what? toast. Um, and then there was another article by an author named Hubert Griffith. Um, he wrote for the Royal Air Force Journal, and in April of 1942, he talks about the appearance of gremlins. But he notes in his, in his uh, article that these stories have been around for a while, and he just had kind of a collection of them that he was reporting on. Okay. So it's interesting. Um, some of the stories go back as far as like the 1920s even. That's really cool. But so far, just like word of mouth type of stories. Right. At this point. Yeah. One of the earliest written accounts um, was an article uh, in the newspaper called The Spectator in the 1920s. And it states, quote, the Royal Naval Air Force Service in 1917 and the newly constituted Royal Air Force in 1918 appear to have detected the existence of a horde of mysterious and malicious spirits whose sole purpose in life was to bring about as many of these inexplicable mishaps as possible. So right around that same time, uh, right off the coast of England in 1923, a series of newspaper articles that explained the strange happening of a pilot who crashed his plane and blamed the mishap on little people, in quotes. He reports that these little creatures had jumped out of a beer bottle that the previous... <laughs> yeah, jumped out of a beer bottle uh, the previous evening and tormented him through the night uh, and into the morning of his flight. So hmm. he... This is another kind of one of those accounts where the description of the creature kind of veers off of the norm a little bit. Okay. Um, but he still describes the same type of behavior of this group of strange little creatures who are getting into the electrical systems of his plane and wreaking havoc there. And then at that point, he had no choice but to bring his plane down. Uh, in a kind of controlled crash. 
Hmm. That is crazy. Yeah. I don't know if I would have gone up for a flight that day if, like, the whole night before <laughs> I was tormented by little people who jumped out of my beer. Um, I'd probably have, like, called in. Seems like... Like, out from work that day. Exactly how much beer yeah. did he drink? Yeah. To the point where he was seeing little people crawling out of his beer bottles. Right. And, I but, mean, I don't know about operating heavy machinery when things like that are going on. Right. Exactly. But... It's definitely suspect. Seems like poor judgment. Because but, we have all these other little claims of yeah, people seeing this. It is right around kind of that same time, though, so who knows? Maybe he was just kind of jumping on that bandwagon. So here's something interesting. Um, we know about Charles Lindbergh. Yes. Uh, he was a very famous pilot, if, in case you don't know, who had many record-breaking transcontinental flights. He reports strange, transparent-like creatures who looked grim and menacing that would uh, kind of appear and disappear in his plane cabin as he was flying. Um, And he also states that he would have conversations with these creatures during his flight. Um, But this account is a little bit different because he never felt threatened or that they meant him harm. Hmm. And it was almost like they were there to kind of impart knowledge on him. Okay. Knowledge of a mystical nature is how he describes it, which kind of brings up a a little bit of a theory that I had about this. Uh, Kind of tying back to how the gremlins were reported to have sort of gifted this knowledge to mankind. Mm -hmm. So somebody who's a great pilot like Lindbergh was, maybe commanded the respect of these creatures like he had a deeply rooted understanding for this machinery and how it works so they were kind of like we're going to honor and respect this person yeah that makes sense yeah like they wouldn't pester him because they see him as worthy yeah Hmm. sort of interesting there's actually a australian pilot named mark sheldon who sort of believed that the gremlins weren't just a figment of a pilot's imagination or um like a state of mind or something brought on by fatigue or you know long flights with no food or water or whatever these pilots were going through um but he wrote in an article that they sort of reflect your mood uh and your performance he says if you fly carefully and well they treat you good if you fly badly they act badly by you Okay, so that makes sense and sort of goes with what you were saying before about Lindbergh. Yeah, totally. Interesting. So another account that I was reading about was about a pilot called L.W. And he was flying during World War II uh, in the skies over Europe. And he was flying a B-17 Flying Fortress. Okay, those are big old planes with lots of guns. Okay, so he was... (laughs) flying this Mm -hmm. plane and suddenly he saw something outside the plane looking back at him he described this as a menacing creature around one to two meters tall so three to four feet tall Mm -hmm. with lots of teeth and he mentioned red eyes oh okay um he also noted that the arms were like disproportionately long Mm -hmm. that's what it says in the research So he's flying a fighter plane during wartime. Mm -hmm. He sees this creature and he starts to do like 
kind of evasive, erratic maneuvers with the plane to like knock the thing off of, Whoa. of the nose of the plane of the bomber. So it was like, on it was just the... perched there, just staring at him. What? Yeah, apparently, and he, you know, thought it was kind of wild and didn't actually report it until actually he started hearing other people talk about these sightings. Right. So after a few days, he was like, okay, I'm, I also saw this. So he officially reported it because he was hearing chatter Whoa. amongst other people. That's kind of crazy. And a lot of the sightings and the chatter about these gremlins really came up during that World War II era like mm-hmm. we were talking about. And it became like an official topic. Right. There were like posters and like what to do if a gremlin is whatever. Like, little weird wartimey info leaflets, posters. Field manuals on how to deal with gremlins. Yeah. That's crazy. So that actually sort of boosts the credibility of this as a possible actual thing that people are seeing. Yeah. I mean, I can see it as something where it's just somebody to place blame on if something goes wrong or malfunctions Mm -hmm. you know all those gremlins are at it again as like a fun superstition right especially collectively as like military personnel where you can't really pass the buck on things right um that's something that's kind of in the back of my mind as we're talking about this like as a more plausible reason that it's like around wartime and even like the posters would be cute like something lighthearted, yeah to kind of you know You blame the gremlins. So it's almost like satire kind of thing. Yeah. And then, I don't know, but... Well, here's something interesting, kind of on that point where the Royal Air Force, or like the Allied Air Force, were dealing with these gremlins. There was initially this thought that it was somehow conjured by the enemy. Yeah. It was speculated that they were like caused by the Nazis. Yeah. Well, it was... To throw them off. You know, like, Hitler was pretty well known for being into the occult and, like... Messing around with some weird stuff, yeah. So that was kind of a fear, but then what they found out is that totally separately, the enemy pilots were also dealing with gremlins. They had all their own accounts of these very similar things happening in a whole other you know, culture and language. Yeah. So that kind of takes the wind out of my sails on the idea that it's just kind of a way to blow off steam or or blame something. If you're actually scared that it's being caused by the enemy, then there's a little bit more to it, probably. Yeah. It'd be interesting to find like a copy of one of these pamphlets or uh, field manuals to find out kind of how it's worded or like what the illustrations are like. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that was just kind of a counterpoint to what you're saying, just as something to think about. Um, You know, it's not outside the realm of possibility that they just kind of picked up on this and it spread through their forces just as quickly as it did through ours. Right. So another account, I just love these little, like, stories or retellings by pilots who encountered these things. It's just so fascinating um, that these were military people who went through training they were tough as nails they had probably been through 
all kinds of crazy combat before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to remember that back then, like paranormal accounts or like UFO sightings, things like that, were not interesting to people. It was more like kind of you were ashamed if you had a weird story like that. Right. People were kind of conservative and like they didn't want to talk about having experiences like yeah, that. Yeah, you seemed crazy. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of this stuff doesn't come out again until... You couldn't just have a podcast. <laughs> exactly. And like be cool about it. They had old-timey radio shows for sure, but they did not. It wasn't quite as fun as a podcast. But you weren't um, on a broadcast that you saw you saw creatures yeah. on a plane. Yeah, but you know, a lot of these these accounts they didn't come out until much later. Um, there's a a story that kind of came out in the 1990s from a pilot who was in 1942. He, his plane crashed in northern France, and essentially what happened is they were doing a night bombing mission, and one of the engines failed, and the pilot attempted to kind of correct this. This is what they train for. Engines fail from time to time, and they have three other engines Mm -hmm. that they can kind of balance out and keep the plane going. But as he's trying to go through his procedure, all the other engines shut down at the same time. And so basically he has a plane full of bombs and fuel. (laughs) So he, and it's just in a dead fall. Now, so he makes the decision to bail out and let the plane crash. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a little tricky because the plane was full of bombs and then exploded when it impacted. So there wasn't like really any evidence that they could go through to check what happened to the engines or whatever. Um, But uh, he is pretty adamant that this was something that was caused by gremlin encounter so did he say that he saw them or he was just suspecting that gremlins were responsible for this because like inexplicably all four engines failed yeah he he doesn't specify that he saw the creatures okay but because of the lore surrounding it and his knowledge of aircraft Mm -hmm. um the, th- the other three engines shutting down all at the same time like that is like not possible. Yeah. There's no way mm-hmm. unless something was specifically like targeting. Tar- yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I just, I wonder, it's like that, that same kind of thing going back to if you are flying with bad intentions, the gremlins will get you hmm. because during more time, no matter what side you're on, you're going Specifically to like end lives. That's what yeah these bombing raids are for, right? So the gremlins are just up there causing mayhem. But like mayhem to keep the peace? That sounds kind of counterintuitive. I don't know if it was to keep the peace, but just to... Like it seems like their agenda is literally just to wreck these machines. Okay. So we have decades of encounters in the air. Mm-hmm. Trusted pilots, credible witnesses, saying that they've seen something. Goblin-like, bat-like, humanoid figures Mm -hmm. wreaking havoc on their vessels Mm -hmm. midair, right? Let's land this plane 
and move forward past World War II. Okay. And head to 1955, to a case that we have always been interested in and are just realizing may be linked to these creatures. And that is known as the Hopkinsville Goblin Incident. Slash. Incident, (laughs) but also known as the Kelly Green Incident. Yeah. Kelly Greenman, where these two families Mm -hmm. in Kentucky in 1955 fight off humanoid creatures that just seemingly came out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and have like a showdown with them. Yeah. It's a night long battle. Yeah. So let's let's delve into that a little let's bit into and it. how it connects to gremlins, we think. So just to reiterate, we know that gremlins are smallish creatures. They are Sometimes covered in hair, sometimes smooth skin, grayish green in color. They have long arms, sharp teeth, claws, sometimes wings, and large ears. Mm-hmm. Right? Sort of bat-like faces. Yeah. So now that we've established that. That visual. As this is what we're dealing with. So it's August 1955 in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. The Suttons and the Taylors are finishing their dinner. They came together to have a nice family evening with dinner, maybe a couple drinks, some good conversation. And suddenly, they come under attack from what appears to be a clan or a group of these strange glowing creatures that are described as having exceptionally long arms, razor-sharp claws, and bat-like ears, and they stood around two to four feet tall. Check. They also had the ability to float or Mm. fly without the aid of any sort of, like, mechanical device. Okay. So this is right after dinner, and they're winding down for the evening, and they see this strange creature peering in through the window, just watching them, observing what they're doing and Mr. Sutton the the father notices and freaks out uh, understandably um, and goes to get his gun his shotgun and he's like there's a some kind of a creature outside I'm gonna go take care of it and what he finds is that there's actually 12 to 15 of these things and they're just crawling around the house past yeah Not so good. So they, the two families, fight off these creatures. This is a country home. They have guns in the house. Mm -hmm. And they are supposedly shooting these things and hitting them, but their bullets are bouncing off. But it's hitting hard enough that the creatures are, like, dissuaded for a moment from... Okay, so they, like, recoil a little bit. Yeah. From impact. Yeah. Mm. And at some point they make it inside the house and the families are fighting them off all through the night until sunup. Now what's interesting about this specific case is that the following morning at the police station in, in Hopkinsville all of the adults and all of the children arrive at the police station to report this 
insane encounter that they've had. And of course the sheriff is skeptical, uh, but he can tell that the children are upset. Both families are totally terrified. So he agrees to come out to the farmhouse and investigate. And it's actually documented that when the police get there and they're surveying the, the farm and the area and the house, there are shell casings everywhere. There are bullet holes in trees and cars that are parked on the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, inside the house, there are bullet holes. So and so there's a shootout there's of a, some kind. There's a shootout of some kind. That's evident. There's also, um, like, the gravel is all disheveled. Like, there was... Okay. A you scuffle. Know, scuffle, running, jumping, uh, <laughs> rolling around. Uh, but there's no sign of any remains of creatures. Okay. So, so It's so weird. It's super weird. This is also regarded as one of the most interesting cases of close encounters of uh, extraterrestrials. Right, which is what we always categorize this as. Mm-hmm. Like, this was a an alien attack. Yeah. An ET attack. But think... in reading the description... And studying these gremlins, we were like, wait a second. Yeah. Two to four feet tall, bat-like, sharp teeth, and sort of just menacing. Because mm-hmm. did any of these creatures, like, were they actually attacking the humans? No, they spent hours, like, climbing the rafters mm-hmm. yeah, just, just for the families to shoot at them and be terrified. They were just taunting them, like, at the window in any report that, you know, in mm-hmm. any other time this has been covered, they say that they're just sort of around menacing the family. Right. When you think of alien, usually there's a higher intelligence and, like, an agenda of some kind, not just creatures, like, running amok near a family. Yeah. You know, like, what would an alien really, what would they want? Yeah, that's... So a, a goblin-type creature who's... You know, entire M.O. is just to be scary and bother people. Yeah. I mean, but I don't know. It doesn't fully fit because a lot of the aviation stuff, like, in my initial narrative, like, those people are actually wounded and killed. Right. Yeah, that's But also shot at. Yeah. uh, Seemingly shooting at nothing. Right. Yeah. So that, I mean, that really ties that in together quite nicely, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And just because it didn't happen on an aircraft but you know who's to say that these gremlins weren't specifically going after farm equipment Mm -hmm. it doesn't specify in the story that either of these families had been having trouble with any of their equipment but someone would have to ask that question exactly and tie these things together missed detail there right very interesting i'm intrigued by the fact that they appear to be just observing which makes me think of the skinwalkers how they would sort of be lurking, looking through the windows of houses and not really doing anything specifically harmful to the humans. Uh, But they would hear them, you know, on the porch outside or like climbing around on the roof and stuff. Mm -hmm. Interesting behavior by these cryptids out there. Yeah, for sure. That's what's so, that freaks me out. What are they doing? You never know what they're doing in there. (laughs) 
That's the scariest thing, man. They have mm-hmm. a weird agenda that we can't understand. They get something out of that that is uh, not conceivable to our puny human brains. Yeah. So what do you think? Are we dealing with something that's paranormal? Um, are these pilots just hallucinating? Is it just folklore, like the fairy and kind of goblin realms? Yeah, I think that there are certain aspects that are fed by that. And like I said, the like the war posters, wartime posters and things are kind of playing into the fun. But I don't think that has to negate the fact that maybe it stems from a grain of truth. I think that the Hopkinsville incident really like anchors in that it's not just sort of like an aviation myth. Mm-hmm. Because it's the same description of the creature, the same sort of behavior of these creatures, and not too long off. Like, it's 1955. This was happening through the 20s, 30s, 40s. Exactly. All the way till the end of World War II, which I'm sure it carried on after that. There were just less planes, you know, actively flying around. Absolutely. In, like, war zone time, you know, war zone areas. But this Hopkinsville incident kind of solidifies that these creatures, whatever they are, whatever their plan is, like, they have been seen. Mm -hmm. You know, many of these pilots and these two families reported these sightings with vivid details of the creatures. action taken against them. Yeah. Which is actually pretty big deal to me, personally. If you're in an airplane discharging your firearm Mm -hmm. while mid-flight, is generally viewed as a, like, don't do that, probably. Um, That's going to cause serious damage to your plane and crash your plane. Yeah, yeah. So that's a a last resort. Exactly. Um, As a family with small children, you're probably not going to be just shooting your guns off in the house with kids sitting right there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there was... Even in Kentucky. Even in Kentucky. (laughs) Uh, there was a very like, specific purpose to those firearms being discharged. It seems weird to have to mm-hmm. say that, but like they were fighting something. Right. They were so scared of whatever they saw that they went to the police later <laughs> to report this thing. Yeah. I think that's pretty substantial evidence. And right. We just don't have the f- any physical evidence, though... In the Hopkinsville case, like, the police did come out and, like, collect evidence and, like, look through the forest Mm -hmm. surrounding the home. And, you know, they did a whole forensic workup on the bullet holes and the trajectory and the... But to even have, to me, calling out that sort of police presence at that level is evidence enough that, like, they know what they saw and it Mm -hmm. was enough to, you know, rally and then get it investigated and documented well yeah and on the other side of that too they didn't find any evidence of other animals right so there was a couple notes from skeptics Mm -hmm. or like you know people who are like looking for logical explanations that said you know well it could have been a bunch of these great horned owls that had they're always trying to tell us owls are responsible for these (laughs) Can you just leave the owls alone? E.T. encounters or cryptid encounters. But I do know for a fact that owls are not impervious to bullets. No. And And you would know an owl. Have I seen an owl up close? No. 
Well, maybe once, I think, at the Audubon Society. But I don't think even if an owl suddenly appeared in here and it was one of the, like, four feet tall yeah. owls, I wouldn't be like, what is that creature? It is completely unknown to me. It would just be like, whoa, that's a big fucking owl. Yeah. Why is it in our living room? Right. Why is it looking through the window? Yeah, it's not outside the realm of our, you know, understanding. Yeah. Just what an owl looks like. Right. Even though there are several species of this animal. Yeah. There are lots of different species of fish, large and small. You see a fish, you know it's a fish. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't, that one I would toss out. That one makes me angry. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. it's an owl. You're insane. I mean. It's like, no, that's, it's not an owl. I w- you think I'd be freaking out if it was an owl? Even if even if it was, and they just couldn't tell the difference, they were shooting at it. There would be feathers. There would right, be right. Evidence blood. You know of an something. Owl. Yeah, but all that they were finding were just bullet holes. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. It's intriguing. It is for sure. And like you said, the it's that whole the story comes from somewhere. Right. There's a nugget of truth in there, and it could just be that these pilots are seeing green creatures mm-hmm. ripping up their, you know, internal wiring <laughs> and uh, causing their planes to crash. Yeah. No, I love it. I love that this was a sort of, this episode snuck up on us mm-hmm. because we kind of decided last minute and then it unfolded as we were going about this. And I am happy that we continue our Gremlins tradition. Yeah. Um, it's an excellent Christmas movie and actually going to be our... For a Fright, you've got to check out 1984's Gremlins. If you haven't seen it, uh, or even if you have seen it, I feel like it's been a bit since we had watched it and we kind of waited until Olivia was old enough to Mm -hmm. appreciate it. And you will note that there is sort of a ranting guy when these creatures start kind of going a little crazy. Uh, who mentions something about gremlins being responsible for some havoc wreaking in uh, in World War Two? Yeah. Uh, so check that out. Watch for that line. Let us know what you think, especially about this sort of zany uh, connection. Yeah, that's to a, the Hopkinsville incident and the Kelly Green men it case. Was just such a like. Wait a second. I know this story. Yeah. And at first we were kind of like, was this just another encounter that was really similar? And then it turned out to be something that we had already researched a little bit. So that was really cool. Yeah. Um, Send us an email if you have anything to say or some ideas or your own encounter or ghost story you'd like to share. And that is at Fright Life Paranormal on Instagram. Or you can reach us at Fright Life Paranormal at gmail.com. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a website now, frightlifeparanormal.com, where you can check out some merch, um, links to all of our social medias. You can actually listen to our podcast right from the website, which is pretty neat. And soon we'll have some uh, investigations posted. Yeah. We hope you've had a frightful time with us here at Fright Life Paranormal. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time.